Welcome everybody to the Tag You're It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. I'm Dave. And we are joined today um, by a wonderful man that we've had on this show before. We didn't get to do our uh, yearly. our yearly trip to make it yeah. a three-time, uh, then making it tradition trip up to Jefferson City to the big Missouri Baptist Convention building. So this is going to have to suffice, and it's awesome. It does suffice. I find it satisfactory anyway adequately satisfactory but anyway yeah we got rob phillips on the line um we told you guys uh in the, i think it was the last program that we would have him on about his new book and it's kind of in our screen up here but it's kind of washed out See anyway there. but yeah there you, go. there you go jesus before bethlehem and so we wanted to definitely uh do this uh, uh again and so this is sort of it's still tradition just not going up to jefferson city so how are you doing this evening rob I'm doing well, and you always have an open invitation to come. All Thank right. you. Well, have you anytime. Yes, we, we, like, we like to eat lunch with you guys. That's right. You guys <laughs> take us to a great place, and it's, it's always fun. And it really is, I wish, as everyone else has had to do this last year, make adjustments to their normal routine, that was a disappointment that we weren't able to do that, but we will certainly uh, get back to that when things get back to a more normal schedule, and uh, we'll really enjoy getting to meet with you. So, we've invited you on. This, I believe, Rob, is your sixth time on the podcast. So, with that said, we are excited to announce you've had this book out for a little while. Uh, It came out, like, right before COVID and everything, (laughs) like, went crazy. Is that right? Yeah, timing is everything. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh We've got this great book here that you've got. It is available, of course, on the Missouri Baptist uh, Convention's website in the Apologetics page. And then it's also available on your website, oncedelivered.com. Dot net. Dot net. I knew it. Whichever one I gave, it was going to be wrong. Um, So if you don't mind, let's just kind of jump into some of these questions that we've prepared for. But uh, before we do that, uh, some of... The people who listen don't always know. They haven't listened to everything. If you don't mind, just give us just a brief bio and kind of tell us how things are going for you right now. <laughs> All right. Well, I've been privileged for the last eight years to work uh, as one of the state missionaries at the Missouri Baptist Convention. And my role is uh, Director of Ministry Support and Apologetics, uh, the Ministry Support portion of it is all the behind the scenes things that we do like graphic design and video um, live event support things like that but then uh, I get to do apologetics as well and uh, so that's one of the things I really enjoy it gets me uh, connected with people uh, like the two of you and with others around our state who are either pastors or laypersons who have some area of expertise in uh, in apologetics, so that's what uh, that's kind of what's going on now. And of course, our most recent resource is Jesus Before Bethlehem. That's right. Yeah, I'm just showing everybody. Adam, yes. this is what the guy's written. So now, this, <laughs> as far as numerically, is what number of book for you? I believe it's number eight. Number okay, eight, outstanding. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 
That's counting the, uh, oh, yeah. the kingdom. The kingdom. That's right. That's yes. right. That means <laughs> I've got the full full uh, catalog of Rob Phillips right here. Thank you, wow. by the way. <laughs> you're, you're, you might be the only person who has all of them. Uh, hey, no, I, think, uh, I give I... so many away, Rob. This is not a joke. People will ask me uh, a question, right? This is where your resources have been incredibly, incredibly helpful. The book that I give out more than anything is what everyone should know about the afterlife. Every f- I do, I do about fifty funerals a year, right? And about forty-five of those funerals are people that I've never met and will never meet their family again. Uh, I live right across the street from the funeral home. And so I just, you are so generous, and the Missouri Baptist Convention is so generous to always load me up with those books. And uh, I just print a little piece, and every time I do a funeral, I hand it to someone and say, hey, this is a gift from my church to you. And so that book is in the hands of all kinds of folks because of that. So uh, that's the book that I give out the most. And then, of course, I'm always giving out copies of the Apologetics Toolkit. I can't get them. I can't get them in my hands quick enough uh, to do that. So that is a great use of the cooperative uh, program's funds. And, of course, I just I hope that people, I know people will be blessed if they read your book. Uh, in fact, I even at one point had uh, edition number two of the Apologist Toolkit, which was a lot different than edition number one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's one of those things uh, for the Missouri Baptist and just people in general, um, but specifically for for the Missouri Baptist, you know, Rob is a guy um, that he uh, takes on a bunch of different, like he's not putting all his eggs in one basket um, and, and railing it over the head. He is definitely trying to provide information on a multiplicity of subject material that we need to take. You know, I take behind the chair. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to take to work. Yeah. Um, the kingdom of God's here, and we are to represent it well. Um, that's you know, that's the apologetic anyway. So you know, thank you, Rob, for uh, continuing to just you know, like you said, you're not beating, you're not a one string banjo. You're a guy that's studying yourself, and then you include everybody into you what you've studied and gotten into to go. Hey, let's let's uh, get equipped. Let's go. And so, you know, you definitely have that great commission heart and we very much appreciate it as people, you know, who are laboring with you, um, especially in the, the, uh, we get to, we get to labor with you in the, in the Missouri Baptist convention. So we thank you for that. So, um, but with that said, we got this new book, uh, Jesus before Bethlehem and just the, the long title, that's the short title. The long title is what every Christian should know about the angel of the Lord. That's you know, a lot of pages, big topic. How, how did you feel tackling this topic? Well, it uh, didn't start off uh, as a book-length project. It started off really as a curiosity for me, uh, you know, reading about uh, Moses at the burning bush and the angel of the Lord, mm. um, Jacob encountering the angel of the Lord, Abram encountering the angel of the Lord. And so it sort of picked my curiosity, who is this character? Mm. Uh, who is often identified as the angel of Lord, uh, who not only speaks uh, for God, but even speaks as God. Mm. And so I just began to do a study on that. And one of the things I realized early on was that there are not a lot of uh, in-depth studies on that topic. If you buy books on angels, they'll typically have a few pages or maybe even a chapter on an angel of the Lord, but it's difficult to find a book-length resource on that. 
I did find a few, and uh, they were either too scholarly mm-hmm. for me, uh, or they were maybe a little too basic to fully satisfy me. So that ended yeah. up launching up uh, probably about a year and a half or so of me reading through the Old Testament and uh, looking for every reference to the angel of the Lord and uh, references of, of uh, uh, characters who weren't specifically identified as the angel of the Lord, but who might very well have been uh, the mm. angel of the Lord. So anyway, it was about a year and a half process or so, and uh, I really enjoyed it. It really took me deep into God's word. And um, uh, hopefully what uh, we've come up with is uh, a helpful resource to show that Jesus, uh, who is the eternal Son of God, was very much alive and well in Old Testament times and active in human affairs. So at the beginning of the book, you discuss a foundational issue that an individual needs to understand uh, what angel the term biblically means, and in general, uh, just some criteria to determine uh, some distinctions of that use. You know, we think of the term messenger, uh, angel of the Lord. Uh, Why do we need to know about angels, even as, uh, you know, evangelicals today? Like, why is even a understanding and a right understanding of angels itself important? Yeah, well, angels, of course, are in uh, a lot of counterfeit forms of Christianity, Mm. as well as in false religions as well. Uh, Angels are widely believed in, um, and when you look at the biblical account, you take the Hebrew word malach, or the Greek term angelos, Mm. and they both mean messenger. And uh, so when you see the word angel, you should really think messenger, or think of someone who is sent. Mm. And um, sometimes that angel is a human being. Um, And, for example, there are times in the Old Testament where uh, kings would send an angel to another uh, group of people or back and forth. But the translators, uh, the English translators, would understand that was a human being. So they would typically use the word messenger rather than angel. But it's the same, uh, same word, either in the Hebrew or Greek. And then oftentimes the term angel applies to what we typically think of as an angel, a created spirit being, uh, either holy angels or wicked fallen angels. Uh, But then we have those uh, several dozen times in the Old Testament where this one known as the angel of the Lord appears. And uh, he not only speaks for God, he speaks as God. Sometimes he is called Yahweh, and yet he appears beside Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, he does things only Yahweh can do. He knows the future uh, with omniscience uh, and knows it perfectly. He uh, forgives sins. Uh, he delivers um, the Israelites or others, when God says, I'm going to be the one to do so. And so when you see the word angel or even the word messenger in the Old Testament or the New Testament, it's good to pay note to the context because the context will give you a clearer picture of whether this is a human messenger, mm-hmm. um, a, uh, a spirit being messenger, 
or perhaps the pre-incarnate Christ. So I know we gave you a list of questions and every time we talk, there's always some springboards to some other thoughts. And yeah. so I hope you hope you don't mind if I go off script a little bit, but no, there seems all. to be a crucial element, at least from the Trinitarian perspective, at looking back on the angel of the Lord and understanding that as Jesus, uh, how does one kind of arrive at the knowledge that the angel of the Lord must be Jesus? Does that make sense? It, it does make sense. And of course, as you guys know, God's revelation is progressive. Yeah. Um, we, if all we had was the book of Genesis, we would, we would get a lot of information, but not all that God wanted to reveal to us. So as we go through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, we get a fuller picture of uh, who God is, who we are, what our problem is, and what God has done about that. But it is important to note that in uh, Old Testament times and through the rabbinic period, my understanding is that uh, ancient Israelites did have a concept of two Yahweh figures. Mm -hmm. That is, one who is invisible or hidden that no man can see and live, and a visible manifestation of Yahweh. That's why, like in Exodus 3, we see uh, the Lord speaking, and we see the angel of the Lord, and the two of them are there together. Yeah. They can be distinguished, but they can't really be separated as God. And my understanding is, um, from reading uh, scholars like Michael Heiser, that um, that concept of at least two Yahweh figures, one invisible and unseen, and one who entered the physical realm, was commonly known and taught in Judaism until the second century. Of course, that's about the time that Christians were saying, yeah, we know who that angel of the Lord is. That was the pre-incarnate Christ. And so then that was considered to be a heretical view, and it was set aside. Yeah, and it's a wonderful thing, you know, uh, just uh, reading just right out of the gate in uh, Genesis, whenever you're dealing with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, and Hagar gets thrown, you know, thrown away, and who does she meet, you know, and that's, she's like, and, and, the, and the surprise, wait, I saw God and I lived, right? So even from, even earlier than what happened in Exodus, you're seeing this like something that, if if you're just reading through, you don't really get like the the relational, um, uh, emotional dimension, right? That it means something that there was already like an assumption there that you can't see God, right? But she's surprised. I, I, I saw God and I lived. You know? Yeah, and, and that's, so, that, yeah. Go ahead. That's, a good, that's a good catch because uh, it's not only with Hagar, uh, but it's with others uh, mm -hmm. throughout the Old Testament. Um, uh, Manoah and his wife, the parents of Samson, had the same experience. <laughs> they go, yeah. I can't believe we're still alive. Uh, we saw God and we're still alive. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's true. And, and you mentioned Hagar. You know, Hagar is the first um, person who encounters the angel of the Lord by name. At least that's mm. the first encounter where the angel of the Lord comes. Yeah. And one of the neat things about that is uh, Hagar is a female and a Gentile and a slave. Hmm. And she's been banished. And, and who does the angel of the Lord appear to first? To her. Yeah. And he comes and he seeks her out. 
And uh, it's interesting because, uh, you know, that's just the way Jesus is, too. Uh, he comes to seek and to save the lost. Um, he was very comfortable among the lowly and the outcast mm-hmm. in his uh, community. And so when we see that first appearance of the angel of the Lord with Hagar, you, you can almost see the, the personality and the qualities and the attributes of Jesus in that encounter. Yeah. So uh, I know you were, uh, we invited you to kind of watch our interaction with Dr. Howe back in May, I think. And uh, one of the things that I, that I, I just love Dr. Howe, and he is so gracious to us and so kind. We have our differences, but I really, I really admire him a lot. And one thing he, he said in the debate, and it always sticks out to me, uh, we didn't really get to give an answer, but I think that you could provide us an answer. He would say, it said in Genesis that, that God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. And how did God walk in the garden? God doesn't have hands. God doesn't have legs. And I would say, because that was Jesus walking in the garden. Uh, so here is Jesus, I'm assuming, in the pre-incarnate state, though, he doesn't just appear as a human being at times. I actually think that he would have appeared as a human being. Uh, but what other ways does the angel of the Lord kind of show up in Scripture? Is it, is it always a person? Uh, and is it, does it in different forms kind of help me out with that? Yeah, well, uh, let me start by going back to the Garden of Eden, because you raise a good point, and I, I have a little sidebar in the book that addresses that very issue of God walking with and talking face-to-face with Adam and Eve in the Garden. And the Garden of Eden really was considered to be the intersection between heaven and earth, mm-hmm. the intersection between God's realm in the spirit world and the physical realm that God created. And Adam and Eve walked freely and moved freely there, and God walked with them. And though Genesis doesn't provide more detail about that, uh, you could certainly assume there that somehow the unseen God manifested himself physically, and who is the only member of the Trinity that's ever manifested himself uh, in, in a way that he's got uh, human characteristics, and that would be Jesus, of course. Mm-hmm. So, I think, and I certainly don't want to press that point too hard. Yeah. Um, but I think it's very possible that that's the pre-incarnate Christ in the Garden of Eden. And that would be the very first yeah. appearance of the angel of the Lord, although he's not called yeah. that. Um, but then you mentioned other, other ways. Most often when the angel of the Lord appears, he appears in human form. Uh he appears to uh, Abram and uh, Sarai outside their tent in human form. He appears to Jacob in human form. He appears to uh, uh, Joshua as the commander of the Lord's army. He's there mm-hmm. uh, ready to ready to fight. Um, but he can and does appear in other ways. For example, um, in Exodus, we have that pillar of uh, cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. And it says the angel of the Lord and the Lord himself, his presence or his name is in that cloud. And so um, while uh, Jesus certainly is not a cloud or he's not fire, his name and his presence are in that pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night that stayed with the Israelites throughout the 40 years of their wandering in the wilderness. 
And then we get to um, uh, Isaiah 6, where Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, and he has this great description of the Lord, actually the Lord of armies or the Lord of hosts. And when we get to the Gospel of John, John seems to indicate that what that who Isaiah saw mm. was Jesus in his glory. So that's yeah. really interesting. And then we get to um, Ezekiel 1, in perhaps the most unusual uh, manifestation, I, uh, uh, Ezekiel sees this cherubim-propelled chariot throne mm-hmm. riding out of the skies out of the north, and, and, and a description of one seated in that chariot throne, who very much is like the description of Jesus when we get to the book of Revelation chapter one. Mm -hmm. So that could be him as well. But then we get times like um, uh, Exodus, uh, the night of the Passover, where God says, I am going to destroy the firstborn. I am going to deliver you. And yet who comes but one who's called the destroyer? Who does that? And so is the destroyer God the Father, or is the destroyer the Son of God, the pre-incarnate Christ who comes and carries that out? It could be that's the pre-incarnate Christ who actually passes over and strikes the firstborn in Egypt, because then we get um, later on in the Old Testament um, to um, the um, Assyrians. Mm. who are encamped outside Jerusalem, and it says the angel of the Lord comes and strikes dead 185,000 Assyrians in a single night. There's no description of him. We don't see him appearing in any way, and yet he acts that way. So there's a variety of ways that the angel of the Lord uh, can appear, but I think the most common way we see him appear is he appears as a man. Yeah, and then that's when things change, and he's actually, he comes to not destroy anymore. He comes to reclaim. And, right. you know, that's, I mean, that just makes the, the story beautiful. But, um, but, you know, the big thing is whenever we, we think about the angel of the Lord, I mean, there's a lot of apologetic work to be done. Um, there's a lot of claims. You know, you look at Hebrews, you know, to what angel um, did the Father ever say, you are my son? Um, you know, so the study of, the term angelos um in that in that case you know to what to what sent one to what messenger did he ever say or divine sort of uh created uh spiritual being so this you know this sort of has that impact um whenever we're talking about michael the archangel or christ so from the very beginning to the very end of the bible this is a very um important one but um you know, but to get into that you know what would you say you know because we're talking like you said that you got into works that were above your head scholarly or lack lackluster right <laughs> um so whenever we're getting into this why um why is this a big deal yeah, for question. the pew sitting you know congregation member there you know they're not they might not be sunday school teachers um or in any form of leadership but they are there being fed and equipped um for other things but why should they get into like why is this such an important um aspect of you know uh, what we should know yeah that's uh, i think there's a couple of reasons for that one is that of course jesus is our savior and lord and we want to know him more fully and 
When we do that and we read through Scripture, we take for granted that the Father and the Holy Spirit are active in the Old Testament. And apart from Messianic prophecies, we don't tend to think about Jesus much between the time of creation and the time of the incarnation. And I think by looking at the Old Testament, and particularly the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it shows us that Jesus, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, was alive and active, doing the same types of things on earth in Old Testament times as in New Testament times. He's delivering messages. Mm. He's warning. He's revealing the Father. Uh, he's delivering, he's saving, he's forgiving sins. And uh, then when he comes on the scene 2,000 years ago in the incarnation, he comes to permanently manifest himself in the flesh. He, he doesn't just appear as a man temporarily, he actually takes on flesh. And Jesus today still has that same flesh. He rose from the dead physically. He ascended into heaven physically. He's coming back one day, personally and visibly and physically. So I think that's one reason it's good for all of us to have an interest in the angel of the Lord. But the other reason, I think, is that it will help guard us against false teachings. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know that um, our Jehovah's Witness friends believe and teach that Jesus was a created being, mm -hmm. and that Jehovah created him as Michael the Archangel. And through Michael the Archangel, Jehovah created everything else. Then 2,000 years ago, Jehovah took the life force of Michael the Archangel, placed it in the womb of Mary, and we have Jesus the man. And then after he dies on a torture stake and ceases to exist, Jehovah takes his life force and puts it in a spiritually resurrected uh, Michael the Archangel who rules uh, over his kingdom from heaven today. Now, that's all teaching that's contrary to the word of God, mm -hmm. but sometimes when people talk about Jesus as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, people like Jehovah's Witnesses will go, yeah, I get that. That was Michael the Archangel. Yeah. And so we have to understand the distinction between Michael, who is a created being and mm. a, 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 uh, an advocate for Israel and a, and a mighty warrior for God. But we have to understand the difference between him and Jesus, who in, in his pre-incarnate days was the angel or messenger of God. That's why it's so important to know what angel means. Yeah. Uh, it can be a created being. But it can also simply be messenger, and uh, Jesus came to reveal God the Father. He came to speak the words of the Father, to do uh, what the Father sent him to do. And in a sense, that's true in the Old Testament as well as the New. So I think that's just a couple reasons why it's important for us to have an interest in and to carefully study what the Bible says about the angel of the Lord. Rob, I know you just always do an excellent job of preparing for our interviews, but I have this problem. The uh, former college debater in me is always like asking, okay, get a question of clarification, get a question of clarification. So, of course, while you're speaking and, and working off of, you know, some of these prepared questions, these other ideas come into my mind. So I, if, if 
I catch you off. I, I doubt that I will, but I'm not trying to. So I hope you don't mind when I bring up some questions that we didn't send you, but it just allows me to dive into things. And uh, this sure. is the one that really has been on my mind, uh, even uh, from uh, my my reading and, and scanning of the book. Uh, when I started preaching, you know, I uh, as a pastor, I was doing the best I could, kind of bouncing around Scripture. I really wasn't verse by verse uh, expository preaching. I would do what they told me in my intro to preaching class was preach things that people know, preach stories that people know. And so uh, as I was doing that, I get to uh, the book of Daniel and the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I have this this amazing commentary set uh, by Herbert Lockyer. I'm sure you've probably seen his cool commentary set. It's actually one of the sets that I just I just really love it. It look it was the first nice set that I ever had to put on my shelf, right? And yeah, it was I've, a got, gift. I've got it too. Yeah. I just I've love it. it. And and I cannot remember if it was in his uh, all the verses of the Bible or uh, all of the angels of the Bible and and I encountered the word uh, Christophany. And uh, I had never heard of the word and it was in regard to, of course, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So here is what Lockyer says could be a Christophany, but we don't have clarity. Is there, uh, I assume that the appearance of the angel of the Lord would be a Christophany proper. How do we designate or decide what is a Christophany and what is not? Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. And you... I appreciate you bringing up Christophany because you hear that term and you hear the term theophany. Mm-hmm. And, of course, a theophany is a um, a uh, physical manifestation of God. And that can be uh, a manifestation in a voice, a voice from heaven speaking. Mm-hmm. It can be the presence of God in a pillar of cloud and fire or speaking out of the burning bush. Um, it can even be in a vision, some people believe. So a theophany is when the unseen God breaks into the physical realm and is either seen or heard or both. A Christophany is a little bit narrower because a Christophany is a, is a theophany, which is identified as the second person of the Trinity appearing, um, or, or Jesus. And, uh, of course, you mentioned uh, in Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and um, I do have that listed as as one of the possible appearances of the pre-incarnate Christ because it's he's not called the angel of the Lord, um, and Nebuchadnezzar, you know, says, "Wow, I see a fourth guy in there, and he looks like one of the sons of God," and of course he's a pagan, and so basically what. Nebuchadnezzar is saying is there's a divine being in there. There's somebody in there who's not human, and maybe that's as far as he went. However, um, based upon the fact that he had a a, a visible manifestation, um, he delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, delivered them from danger into safety. Um, He caused a reaction in Nebuchadnezzar that caused him to acknowledge the one true and living God, I, th- I think there's pretty good evidence there that that is a Christophany, um, although that's one of those appearances where I, I don't try to press that too far. 
Yeah, and and so this is why it was perplexing to me as I was still very young in my preaching normally phase because I was like, well, that's Jesus. And like, again, I'm trying to think, I didn't use the term at that time, biblical theology, but I'm very much trying to think in a biblical theology mindset and pointing everything to Christ Jesus. And, and that's one thing that this doctrine actually, uh, to say doctrine, this this minor doctrine actually does is it actually allows us to see uh, a more uh, tightly bound biblical theology. And most people would never use that term. In fact, it was really cool. I was so proud of one of the deacons of my church to be like, well, that's biblical theology and that's systematic theology. And he hit it like right out of the ballpark. <laughs> and I was so proud. But it's something like this that people have never really thought. And so that brings me to, again, another one of my little questions is uh, how should pastors, lay leaders, Sunday school teachers kind of go about teaching this idea do they do they throw it into angel angelology or do they throw it in christology and and how do you designate that does that make sense yeah it, it does and i i think either or both of those approaches is good either angelology or or christology um uh because here we have sort of a merging of of the two in the angel of the lord uh but i do think it's one of it, it certainly is a difficult topic. It's a deeper topic. It's it's not milk. It's it's meat. Yeah. And so it needs to be presented in a context. And so if you're teaching on angels, um, it would be a good place to to introduce that. But also, if you're teaching on Christ, we typically start teaching on Christ either in either in his prophets, the prophecies of the Messiah, or with uh, the virgin birth, and here's an opportunity where we can we can teach the teach all of that, but also say, hey, there's another element in Christology to consider, and that is, you know, in the Old Testament we see God the Father, we mm -hmm. see the Holy Spirit, but what was Jesus doing during Old Testament times? After he created all things, like Paul says, what did he do between creation and the incarnation, and why don't we explore very carefully some Old Testament passages that could possibly give us an indication of what Jesus was up to in Old Testament times? And, and I think if you teach that really from a, a very humble point of view that I don't have all the answers here, but I think there are some pretty good indications, uh, I, I think people will appreciate that and, and, and eat that up. And... Um, uh, there is a danger in being overly dogmatic mm. uh, about this, but I do think that there is some strong evidence of the work of the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament. Yeah. So you're you're basically saying here, <laughs> just for the people out there, <laughs> you can't unhitch your Christianity from the Old Testament, can you? <laughs> I'm just saying, you bet. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And that's what this book is about. <laughs> that is so well said. Um so here's an interesting thing and I think this book just like your book on the Trinity and just like your book on the doctrine of salvation shows this inherent link between systematic theology and apologetics and so this is 
maybe a little bit outside of the book, but I'm going to ask you anyways, because I can't, do we separate the two uh, or at times are we doing systematic theology and apologetics at the same time? And kind of how do you see that relationship? Because you quote from Grudem quite a bit, you know, in, in your books and I, I'm with you uh, on that. Uh, and um, how do you designate that difference? And uh, how can we do a better job of that at times? I should say for the, the normal apologist who's teaching at his church. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure you can separate uh, the two of those because you really don't have an apologetic. You really don't have a defense unless you know what you're defending and what mm -hmm. you're defending with. Amen. And uh, I know sometimes, uh, well, like yesterday, I was uh, speaking at a church down in the boot hill, and uh, one of the guys in the congregation uh, said, well, you, do, you do apologetics, huh? And I, I said, yeah, that's right. And he said, what do we have to be sorry for? <laughs> yep. I'm not, I'm not sorry for believing in Jesus. I go, man, I, I, I get you. I said, but here's what apologetics means. You know, it comes from a Greek noun, apologia. It means to offer a defense. And Peter says to offer a defense of gentleness and respect. And once we got to talking, he, he got it. Yeah. Uh, but, but sometimes that whole idea of apologetics is, um, is either misunderstood or it's, Oh yeah, it's you guys who like to debate and argue all the time, and um, uh, but you really don't have anything to debate or argue about un unless there is a biblical, you know, a theological standard uh, for doing that. So mm -hmm. I don't think you can really separate systematic theology and apologetics, at least not in my thinking. Yeah, because it is answering questions that come to mind whenever you're like, okay, I saw this in the Bible. And uh, then you're going to systematically spell it out so you can be like, this is what the Bible says about it. And then if somebody else comes up and says, no, you're wrong, then what are you doing? Then you're <laughs> going back and forth with each other. I mean, yeah, so we, we, we can't do that. And then like even like biblical theology and systematic, I mean, there is a difference sort of the way it's taught, but you still have to pick a topic sometimes and chain it through, right? So, I mean... We can't really get, I mean, we can get distinct, but then again, we, uh, again, that diamond that we've got to talk about, you know, we can look at the facets, have fun with the facet, but we can't divorce the facet from the whole diamond. And then we got to yeah. see how these, all these facets shimmer and shine with each other as you're holding the whole diamond. I mean, they, they can't make sense without each other, uh, right. you know, but you can look at the distinctions at the same time. And if you don't do that, that's whenever we're fighting all the time, whenever we're arguing to argue. Um, you know, just kind of just what Dave and I have gotten into <laughs> recently. But, you know, whenever we don't, uh, whenever we, uh, you know, pick a ditch, I guess, to fall into versus staying down the straight and narrow. But so this is kind of my final question. And Adam probably maybe has some other ones, too. But this is one thing that I think has been a very key piece for me when it comes to the concept of Christophanes and Theophanies. I see that as a key connection point with Jehovah Witnesses directly. Uh, would you say that this doctrine would maybe connect better with with someone like the Jehovah Witnesses as opposed to mm. the Mormons? Uh, I mean, I don't see an atheist really caring all that much about this in many ways. I actually could make a defense of no, they they actually would 
they wanted if they were seeking consistency, this would be a really great way to show them the doctrine of the Trinity. But yeah. would you say, you know, is there some good connection points, and what would they, you know, might be with with someone who is a, a JW in particular? Yeah, you, you would. It might be a, a starting point because of their belief in uh, Michael the Archangel as the pre-incarnate Christ. Um, but then you would you would have to begin almost immediately clearly defining your terms. Yes, and it might be it might be a lot of just listening, saying, "Hey, I understand you believe that uh, Jehovah's first created." being was michael the archangel uh, is that correct and of course they would say yes and say well tell tell me more about that and uh hopefully that that would buy you an opportunity to say well look you know i appreciate you telling me that can i share with you what i believe the bible teaches about jesus and about michael the archangel so it it might be a discussion uh, a starting starting point but I think it would be a starting point where you would spend a lot of time mm. listening and listening very sincerely to to understand them and hopefully then um, earn yourself the right to offer an opposing point of view. Yeah, and is there anything like, uh, just to shoot off the hip anyway, um, with Mormonism, I mean, the first vision includes, you know, at least maybe the fourth edition of the first vision. You know, like finally the names come out. You know, he saw the father and the son together, right? Mm -hmm. In that, you know, how do you think this would speak into um, even like a first vision issue? Um, I suppose that that's possible. Um, although, of course, his first vision comes long after Christ already came to yeah. Earth. Yeah. Um, but they they have a very strong belief in in angels and obviously in pre existence. Mm -hmm. And um, so you could say, hey, what, have you ever thought about the angel of the Lord, the appearances in the Old Testament? Um, what do you make of that? What do you think of that? And uh, if they have thought about it, they, they could express a view there, and then you would obviously get a chance to express yeah. yours as well. Uh, but it is interesting that just about every world religion and every counterfeit form of Christianity has a pretty strong uh, view of of angels yeah. and uh even islam does of course they believe um they believe the holy spirit was none other than the angel gabriel who delivered the quran to uh to muhammad and yeah. uh, they don't believe in the pre-existence uh, of christ they believe jesus was was uh virgin born they define virgin differently but they don't believe he came into existence until two thousand years ago um, when Allah put him in the womb of, of Mary. But they have a very strong view of angels and demons, and so that could be a common starting point as well with them. Yeah, I mean, you can you can go actually many places with that, because, I mean, they, they do accept the very beginning of our Bible. Um, that's where we do have common ground, and in the very beginning of that Bible is a God that doesn't kill people when you look at him, <laughs> you know, and a God that actually can break into the physical world yeah, and true. not a transcendent God that can't really, I mean, all is like deity. And so Gabriel was the mediary between him and between Muhammad and God. So right. I don't know if even Gabriel could have been lying about Allah and you wouldn't even know. 
Yeah. You know, well, it's so, interesting there's too. a lot there. But. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting too. You talk about Gabriel, you know, and, and Gabriel in Islamic theology is the one who brings the word of God to Muhammad. Yeah. And we could say, well, you believe strongly in the word of God, right? Yeah. Well, we can see places in the Old Testament uh, where the word of God, like Genesis 15, the word of God comes to Abram. And yet he comes in a, in, a, in a manifestation. Who is that word of God? And then we get to John chapter 1, where, mm-hmm. where we have the word, the Logos, who's yeah. um, uh, eternal. And he, he adds sinless humanity to his deity. So there are several ways you could probably yeah. go at that. I don't know always how far you're, you're going <laughs> to yeah. get when your theology is so far apart. But it, it's good to have that conversation. It yeah. demonstrates to me points of contact. Yeah. And that's a key usefulness for a book like this, just like every other resource that you've had, whether it is uh, your what every Christian should know about homosexual or same-sex attraction, uh, what every Christian should know about Islam. You've created these points of contact, and I think they're exceptionally valuable. Yeah. I will push them on everyone as long as I can, <laughs> which brings me to Really, truthfully, my last question, what is the next project of Rob Phillips uh, that we can expect? What do you have going on in the hopper here now? Well, I I am doing some preliminary look um, at the evil one. All right. Uh, And uh, specifically at the many different names by which he's called throughout Scripture. And uh, uh, those names reveal not only his character, but actually what he actually does. And uh, so it's very preliminary, but it's just an area of interest for me. Don't know whether that will finally develop into a resource. I hope that it will. Uh, But that's just been an area of of interest uh, for me in recent months. So I've been doing a lot of reading on that. Yeah. So yeah, the the one that we protect, uh, that we pray for protection in the model prayer, you know, protect us from the evil one. That's mm-hmm. that's awesome. So make it happen. No, <laughs> no, no it's, that's that's a really awesome sure. idea because yeah, we. Um, I I think it. You know, the uh, a quote is said that you know the biggest trick that the devil ever pulled was telling you that he never existed. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, we need that um, in our apologetic just to go. Who is Satan? Um, the adversary, uh, the evil one, uh, Beelzebul, whatever uh, name that you're that that's alluded to, um, that there's attributes and all that kind of stuff uh, in, in that. I think that's that'd be very darn helpful um, for the people, yeah, for just normal people to know to be able to converse. Again, me like me behind the chair in a barbershop or just wherever. Um, sure, this stuff works. This stuff is useful. So that'd be awesome. Well, good. Well. Uh- Pray for me as I work through that. There's a, there's a lot to grab hold on. And, yeah. And, uh, but, but hopefully something will develop from that. Yeah. As always, awesome. Rob, I want to thank you for your hard work, yes. for your example. Uh, also, we're hoping that there will be a, a, a Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network booth, right, at the Missouri Baptist annual meeting. Yeah. And so we want to invite people to come. You can maybe buy your book and Rob will sign it for you. Sure. Uh, and uh, that will be a good thing. And Hey, can I, can I mention one last Go thing? Go for you it, yes. Uh, I'm kind of excited about it, but we, uh, the book, Jesus Before Bethlehem, 
uh, is going to be available on Audible as an audio book. Awesome. Um, we are just waiting on final approval from Amazon to launch that. And I'd be excited. It's the first time we've launched into audio books. Well, just that think about it. That is awesome. So this Rob, is... I'm so excited. 300 and... Well, if you just want to look at a little bit of uh, some promotional material in the back, 338 pages. <laughs> yeah. You can now possibly, here in, in a little bit, listen to it all so you don't have to turn these and read by the author right yeah Yeah. no no we hired a professional (laughs) to do that oh man so but yeah well dude thank you so much um just for uh again just letting us be co co laborers with you um being like doing this whole apologetics network thing um and letting us i don't know it's it's awesome and just always including dave and i it's always a good time um once we can we'll definitely figure out another way to make a trip up there and uh you know have some fun in your office and and uh ride around jeff city and stuff like that once people start stop acting crazy i'm really disappointed i could have been in jeff city tomorrow to defend my resolution there's no way i can do it though because i have a trustee meeting uh at 11 o'clock uh Mm. that i have to zoom in on and i'm like oh man that's just not gonna happen Mm. so unfortunately i'll zoom into jeff city tomorrow (laughs) and uh zoom into bolivar tomorrow and (laughs) i'm sure you've zoomed into a lot of places lately (laughs) i think i think we all have so well i just look forward to seeing you guys again when you can make it and um I appreciate what you do very much. Thank you so much. You're always welcome to come on too. You you just let us know if you yeah. ever want to come on and talk. We're glad to have you. Yeah, if it just pops into your head, you got an idea and you're like, that needs to be on tag you're it. I'm gonna make it happen. You just focus. <laughs> That's right. And, and and you've got you've got airtime. That's right. Like that. Like our airtime is <laughs> that valuable, but hey, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> so Well, Rob, we will be praying for you and we're thankful for your hard work. You just have a great evening. And here it is one more time. Yes. Uh, if you're watching on the live stream or on YouTube, this is the book we've been talking about, Jesus Before Bethlehem. It is going to be available on Audible very soon, and it is available on Amazon and on OnceDelivered.net. And even if you go to the MoBabs uh, website and check out the apologetics, you'll probably find a link on that um, as well. So there's multiple places to find this thing. But yeah, go check it out um, if you want to know about Jesus before Bethlehem, or come hang out with us too. So <laughs> anyway, but yeah, with that said, uh, we'll just close out the show. This is the Tag You're It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am Dave. Solely. Deo. Gloria. All right.